I'm a little guy, and you guys seem so far away, so it's kind of good to be here. In the natural, I should not be standing here this morning. We are going through the most difficult time that we've ever gone through in 30 years of ministry. For you that don't know me, I was part of the church beginning here with some of the others that are sitting here when Pastor Sam, Sam Smith, came to New England to start a church. Actually, we were part of a group that were praying that God would send us a pastor. Be careful for what you pray for. You might get it. It wasn't the pastor we thought we were going to get. He wasn't the type of person we thought we should have. But he was the man God had chosen. And we're sitting here this morning in the reality of what God gave him as a vision. And I consider myself one of the sons of Sam. On the 14th of January, 1982, Sam ordained me, putting me into the ministry. I know that was beyond all his better judgment. I am one of the black sheep of his many sons. And yet he saw something in my heart that he could not deny. And that's what I loved about Sam the most. Even when his head said, don't do it. And we didn't understand sometimes his perspective. He followed God with his heart. And I think that's one thing I inherited from Sam. And my wife and I, Mayana, have endeavored to do that for 32 years. 32 years we've lived in Germany. For me, for my wife, that's her home country. But for me, it's a foreign country, a foreign language, a foreign culture. We have raised up the largest church of its kind in our part of the country. God has opened doors beyond our imagination. We never dreamed all that's happening would happen. And yet at the beginning of this year, I began to experience something that I didn't believe could ever happen to me. Paul warned that people would come from the outside and within our own midst. Wolves, dogs, slander and half-truths that are worse than a bald-faced lie. And just last Sunday night, we had a church meeting hoping to resolve things that have happened in our church. I've spent all this year just dealing with trying to bring peace back into our church, and it exploded into a mob. I thought I would never see something like that with Christians. And when Pastor John called me a few weeks ago and said, would you come? I was planning to be here anyway, but my family is joining me in two days. I felt in my spirit, God said, you need to be here. After Sunday night, I thought, am I crazy? I can't leave. My heart was broken as a pastor when you see people being torn apart because of lies and deceit. And I thought, God, what do I do? And he said, trust me. Because when you're at the end of your strength, you begin to understand what Paul found out. When I am weak, then he is strong. His grace is more than enough for us. I talked to my wife about two hours ago. I've been up since 4.30. I only arrived 36 hours ago, so I'm still a bit on German time. And for you that don't know me, please be patient. I speak 99% of the time in German. Even though I'm from Rhode Island, believe me, when I stand to minister, it takes a while to get all the German words into English. So if I say something you've never heard before, the Holy Spirit will give you the interpretation, okay? 
But she told me God did a miracle. We've been praying. We've been fasting. Friends from all over have been involved in praying for us, lifting us up. Those that are closest to us in church leadership. It's been amazing. This morning they had a tremendous service. And I believe God's going to turn the situation around and the devil will not rob what he has given to us. I'm saying this to you because I'm at home here and we need your prayers. But I'm also saying this to you prophetically as a word of warning. Do never underestimate the gift of God that God has given you here. You pray for Pastor John. You pray for the leadership. You do not allow dissension in the house of God. Because the devastation that the devil can do when good-meaning people do the wrong thing for the wrong motives can stop the plan and purpose of God. So please pray for me. And take that to heart, what I just said. And let us go into the Word of God, because I believe God's got something for this church. We're not just come to church this morning. We are going to have church. The Spirit of God is going to touch your life this morning. He's going to open your eyes to some things that you've not seen in this light. And I believe healing is going to go forth. I believe some of you that are struggling with your own walk with God are going to get answers this morning. And I believe God will bring peace to this house. And if there's been any dissension, we break its power in Jesus' name. We call unity and strength. This is the the church that love is building. Sam said that every time we came together. As he ended every service, to God be the glory. And these are the things that have impressed my spirit and my ministry. Let's get into the word together. I'm going to pray the shortest prayer that you'll find in the Bible. Jesus, help. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19 with just one part of the sentence that Paul prayed for us. He spoke what we understand as an oxymoron. It's a Greek way of saying something to show you how impossible it is and yet God does it. He said he prayed to that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Imagine, we can know something that in ourselves we could never know. Because God's love is so big and so um, um, gigantic, it goes beyond what we can know and yet Paul prayed we could know it. I want to talk to you this morning about John the Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. This term you'll find five times in the New Testament, always in the Gospel of John. And you know, it's amazing, all Bible scholars agree that when John used this term, he was talking about himself. You could almost look at it as an egotistical statement. John. Or the disciple whom Jesus loved. Almost implying that he was somebody special. Maybe loved more than the other disciples. But you see, we know the New Testament says God is not a respecter of persons. God loves us all the same. God loved us when we were enemies of God. God loved us when we weren't even looking for him. God loves us. So why did John use this term to describe himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. We're going to see that every time, and we're going to look this morning with God's help over the next few minutes at all five instances where this term 
the disciple whom Jesus loved is used. And you're going to see with me an amazing truth. There was always another disciple in the same place. His name was Peter. So we're going to look at Peter's relationship to Jesus at this time as opposed to John's relationship to Jesus. One called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter, we're going to find out, was one that was always trying to prove his love that he had for Jesus. He was always ready to prove and to demonstrate his faith and determination. And it gives us a contrast, a metaphor of two ways we can walk with God. One struggling, one always busy with itself, and another one that we find resting in all the challenges of life, in all the different things that can hit us, resting in the fact, I know he loves me. Think of Peter for a minute. This man who got the revelation, as Jesus said, who do the men say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you're the rock. You have not got this by yourself. My father in heaven has revealed it to you. Just a few sentences later, 10 minutes later, Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, What you just said, because Jesus had just said, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to deliver me over to the Romans. I'm going to be put to death. Peter said, no, Jesus, you can't do that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter was always struggling to prove something. He was the disciple that went to Jesus and said, when everybody else denies you, I will never deny you. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus just shook his head and said, oh, Peter, you're not only going to deny me, but you're going to need to be converted. And when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. Peter was always thinking he was something in himself that he really wasn't. And Peter's attempt to prove that he was a man of faith and loved God caused him to be frustrated and always missing what God had for him. Now, in all fairness to Peter, he did not stay that way. He did get converted, and he did become the one Jesus said he would be holding the keys and opening up the kingdom of God, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But as we look in the Gospel of John, at this period, just before the cross, we're going to see John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Walking with Jesus in a total different way, in an intimate way, that Peter could never understand. The first instance we want to look at, John chapter 13. This is just moments before Jesus is about to be betrayed. Betrayal is a very difficult thing, folks. I have spent many moments in prayer and tears. I don't think anything goes deeper than betrayal. Some of you have maybe experienced some relationships betrayal. I have lived in Psalm 55 and 2 Samuel 15. It's nothing new. 
I think maybe God is saying there's a promotion that's going on right now. Moses experienced it. David experienced it. Jesus experienced it. Paul experienced it. But you know, I still said to God, why me? But there's some things I've learned about the grace and the gift of God, of his comfort, that I don't think I would have understood had I not been going through what I've been going through. You see, we need to understand something, folks. We love God because he first loved us. Did you hear that? I got a revelation in the last few weeks studying this. You know, when Jesus talked in the book of Revelation to the church at Ephesus, and he reprimanded them, they were busy, they were striving for doctrinal pureness, they were weeding out those that were false apostles and prophets, and they did all these right things. But Jesus said, I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. I've heard so many messages about the first love, and we sit there and we think, oh yes, I'm not like I used to be, and I I hope you're not like you used to be. I hope you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. But let me tell you something about the first love. The first love is not something you produce. The first love is what came to you when you received the grace and the knowledge of God through the cross of Calvary. When we leave the reality that we can love and we are loved because he first loved us, we end up back at Peter's type of love. Always striving to prove something. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for faithfulness, even when it's difficult. He's looking for your faith, even when it looks impossible. He's looking for a people who will rest in the fact that he is God, we are not. And he will bring to pass what he has promised. We forget that so often. Watch what happens here. This is the moment where Jesus is about to be betrayed. Verse 21. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on, on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now we know this is John. Simon Peter therefore beckoning to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. He then lying on Jesus' breast said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered and said unto him, To whom I give a sup when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sup, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, get this picture. Forget the picture you have of the Last Supper. Da Vinci's picture is not the way it was. They would sit in a circle. They would sup in a way. It was almost like lying on couches and the table was very low if there was a table at all. And apparently at this point in time, Peter doesn't want to be so close to Jesus. He's on the other side looking over to where Jesus is and there's one leaning close to Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter looks at him and says, ask him, ask him, who is it? Now, John asked Jesus. Now, we've always thought Jesus stood up and said, I will tell you now who it... He did not do that. John whispered, Jesus, who is it? Jesus whispered back. Watch. 
The others didn't hear it. Peter didn't hear it. John heard it. The disciple whom Jesus loved. You see, when we trust in our own efforts to prove to God that we love him, we will follow him at a distance and miss the intimacy that only happens when we are close to Jesus like John was. You can be busy working, folks. But if you're not intimate with Jesus, you'll miss the things you need to know. The others, they didn't hear it. John heard it. The second instance where the disciple whom Jesus loved is made mention. John 19. We know what happened. After the upper room incident, Jesus went out to the garden to pray. Judas did what he had to do. He betrayed Jesus. They came. They arrested him. They crucified him. And he's on the cross. And in John 19, we see the second instance of this term, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, You know, I was reading that and I noticed something here. I had never noticed that it said it was the mother of Jesus and his aunt, Mary's sister, the wife of Cleophas. Do you know where we meet Cleophas? Cleophas is the man mentioned of the two people on the road to Emmaus. On that day, why... The crucifixion had happened. The resurrection had happened and they didn't know about it and they were confused. Cleophas is Jesus' uncle. Jesus walked up to his uncle. And I want you to get this. He walks to his uncle and most likely, we've always thought it was two men. I'm sure it was his uncle and his aunt. Leaving Jerusalem, totally confused. And Jesus walks up to them. And they don't know it's him. His aunt and his uncle. And here is kneeling before the cross, his mother, his aunt, Mary Magdalene, but a a fourth person is mentioned. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. Here's John again. He said unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. You have to ask yourself, at this moment in time, where are the others? Where did they go? Now we know Judas went to go hang himself. We know Peter stood afar off because his heart was broken because the very thing he said he would never do, he did. Even though Jesus warned him. Where are the others? The other ten. Where have they gone? Only one we know. It's right there, standing before the cross. You see, things don't always go like you think they're going to go. I've been a Christian now for more than 35 years. I believe in the promises of God. And I believe, like we heard in that story this morning, God is working everything out for my best. But in that moment when things don't seem like God's best is happening. 
going to determine how you grow. Is this thing going to make you bitter or better? Are you going to be stronger or devastated? John is standing before the cross. The only disciple mentioned the disciple whom Jesus loved. And look at what happens. He becomes the intimate one with the natural family. He becomes the adopted son of Jesus' mother. You see, folks, the other disciples were dispersed because they could not understand why. If he was the Messiah, why is he on that cross? They didn't understand he had to go to the cross in order for us to have eternal salvation, in order for us to receive forgiveness, in order for us, for humanity to, be, to have new life given to them. They didn't understand that in that moment. And do you know what? When we rest in the fact that we are loved by God, all the wise of life will find peace and confidence that God is at work. I might not understand in this moment why this is happening, but I do know this. My God will never drop me, leave me. I'll never fall. When I trust in his love for me, all the wise of life will find peace in their storms. The third instance where this happens is John chapter 20. It's on the first day, three days later, the first day of the week when Jesus was raised from the dead. We begin reading in verse 1. And on the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the um, sep- sepulcher, and seeing the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Kind of a funny story. You know, remember, everything in scripture has a purpose. Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, John probably was younger. John probably was fitter. But I believe there's something here that has a relevance to you and I. And I believe it's simply this. Those of us who learn to trust in the love of God that we receive in Christ will grow quicker and faster as we walk with God. Because running is a symbol of spiritual growth and progress throughout Scripture. Let me give you a few examples of what, God, what is taught to us in the New Testament. Hebrews 12.1 Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize, so run that you might win. 
Galatians 5, 7. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? In the scripture out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 40. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as with eagles' wings. They shall run and not be weary. Those that trust in the love of God grow faster and stronger than those who are constantly trying to prove their love for God. Fourth instance. Are you learning something this morning? The fourth time we see the term, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This time it's John 21. After Jesus had appeared to them, after he had showed him the holes in his hand and the piercing of his side, a week goes by. They've gotten discouraged. Yes, he's raised from the dead, but they still have all these questions. And Peter just says, you know what? Forget this ministry dream, apostleship. I'm going fishing. And the rest of the boys said, oh, we're coming too. <laughs> Imagine what a, these are the guys who are supposed to change the world. These are the ones that God has invested our future for humanity with. One week discouragement. I'm going fishing. And they all go with him. Read the story with me. Verse 4, John 21. But when the morning was now come and Jesus stood on the shore, but their disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, I love this, children, Janice, calling fishermen, children. Can you imagine that anybody said to Billy, Children, forget it. Children, have you any meat? They answered, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the ship. You will find. They cast their four, and now they were not able to draw it out for the multitude of fishes, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It's the Lord! You see, those that trust in the love that God has for us, they recognize what God's doing quicker than everybody else. The others were so busy looking at the fishes that they miss the Lord of glory is standing on the shore. It was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that said, forget the fishes, Jesus is here. Now, they did pull in the fishes. It was 153. The Holy Ghost, he takes care of every little detail. And Peter, he jumped into the water to run to Jesus. But it was John who recognized who was on the shore. Those that learn to trust in God's love are more in tune with what God is doing. They see the work of God quicker than others that are always trying to prove something. The fifth and last instance where we see this term. Directly after they brought the fish to the shore, 
Jesus cooks them breakfast. That's our Jesus. He cooks them. They were walking away after they saw the resurrected Jesus. They were going back to their old profession. They're going fishing. And what does Jesus do? Come with a hammer? Come and condemn? No. He cooks them breakfast. That's our Jesus. And you know the story. He's sitting there and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now that's quite a story in itself. We're not going to go into it, but you have to ask yourself. Most of us think he was pointing to the disciples, but I don't believe that. I think he was pointing to the fish. Do you love me more than your profession? Do you love me more than what you know you can do best? Do you love me more than these? And Peter, he's broken. He was the one that had stood up. I'll prove to you that I love you. And he failed. And we know the story. Jesus asked him in the Greek original, do you agape me? Unconditional love. And Peter said, phileo is about the best I can do. Friend love. I'm not going to go there again. I'm not going to commit to something that I don't know I can do. And Jesus asked him three times, and each time he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Care for my lambs. Feed my sheep. He described what ministry is all about. Taking the word of God, feeding the people of God that they may grow in the knowledge of God, knowing that God loves us. And immediately after that, Jesus here says this to Peter. Listen well with me. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say unto you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked whither you would. But when you are old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall grid thee and carry you whither you would not. This spake he, signifying but what death he should glorify God. Now, I know we faith people, we don't want to read this as in the Bible. What are you talking about, death and being dragged and not being able to walk? Didn't Peter know the promises of God? Yes, he did. I think Jesus knew the promises of God. But we forget, we are not home here. This is not about faith in your better lifestyle. This is about faith in God's promises to change a hurting and dying world. We have a job to do. We will get home, but we're not home yet. Don't make yourself too comfortable in this world, folks. This is the danger we have in our generation in the Western world. We have forgotten what what we are called to be and to do. Jesus wakes Peter up to the reality Your life is going to be a sacrifice. And at the end of your life, you're not even going to be able to walk yourself. Someone's going to have to carry you. And they're going to bring you to places you wouldn't have gone yourself. And he says here, And when he had thus spoken, he said to Peter, Follow me. The second time in Peter's life, he hears the great call that every one of us must hear and must answer. It's our job who have heard that call and answered to see that our generation hears it. Will you be a follower of Christ? Will you learn to know him, receive this love that God has given to us through his son and commit your life to him? 
Love him more than anything. Trust him with all you are and all you have. That's the heart of Christianity. And here again, three years later, after Peter had first heard, follow me, he hears again, follow me. But Peter, he's not yet quite there. He just doesn't get it yet. It'll come. But at this moment, he's so close and yet so far away. Look at the next sentence, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeing, now listen very well, seeing what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. There's one more word. Following. Did you get it? Did you see it? (laughs) Jesus had to tell Peter, Peter, life's not going to be a... An easy road for you. Peter, if you're going to follow me, it's not always going to go the way you like it to go. But you follow me. Peter, he looks around. Who does he see? (laughs) The one whom Jesus loved. But what's John doing? He's doing what Jesus told Peter to do. He's not fighting for it. He's not struggling for it. He's not proud and I'll show you I'm fine. He's just doing it. It's time for the church to just simply do it. He's following Jesus. Now let me show you the difference. What does Peter do? Oh, poor Peter. I relate to him because I've been so often like Peter in my life. Don't throw no stones, folks. Because I'm not holding a mirror up here. Maybe I am. I think the mirror of God's word, huh? It shows us how we're all the same. And we have to guard against this. The worst thing is to come to church to show somebody else your spirituality. Oh, God. You need to come to church to give of your love that you receive. To pray with those that need prayer. To comfort those that need comfort. They don't need your spiritual answers of why this is happening. You don't even know why things are happening. You don't have a clue what's going on. And you're going to sit there with your big nose answers. What if Jesus comes to you and says, you know what? The end of your life, they're going to carry you. And you're going to go to places you wouldn't have gone yourself. And that's my plan and purpose for you. Are you going to resist Jesus? You're going to say, oh no, that can't be for me. See, we've been very faithful to teach about the word of faith, but we have not been very good to teach the lifestyle of trust. There are moments you have to stand up and speak to your mountain and move it. And there are other moments where you just got to fall back into the hands of a loving God. Brother, when do I know the difference? That's another message for another time. See, I'm not stupid. I'm hoping I get invited back. (laughs) It's all part of this walk of faith that you and I have endeavored to do and to accomplish. An old man of God who I loved and respected dearly and worked with him for many years, Lester Summerall, he used to tell me, it's not about how good you start, it's about how you finish. It's not about the big things you do in a fleeting moment. It's about how you'll be able to say like Paul, I have 
finish my course. I've run the race. I have finished the purpose of God for my life. And you will never do it if you're going to be like Peter as he is at this time, always trying to prove something. John is simply being what he always was, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't prove anything. It wasn't about what he could do. It wasn't about his spirituality. It wasn't about his anointing. It was all about Jesus. Who loves me and is entrusted to me something special to bring to others? And you're that something special. You've gotten something special. And God wants to use what he's given you to bless somebody else. Now watch what Peter does here. Then Peter turning about seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following. (laughs) Which also leaned on the breast at supper. So we know we're talking about John. And said, Lord, which is he that shall betray thee? Peter seeing him and said to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? (laughs) You see, this exposes how we are when we have to prove that we have faith and love God. We're always looking at what somebody else is doing. You know what Paul said? Those that compare themselves amongst themselves are stupid. Well, he used a more biblical term. He said, are not wise. I put it a little bit more like in Rhode Island, Massachusetts. Stupid. They're stupid. You don't know what God entrusted to somebody. You don't know how God has gifted somebody. You don't know where God's bringing that one person. Why do you waste your time comparing yourself to somebody else? You need to know God loves you. God accepts you. And God wants to use you. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, it's none of your business. Another southern New England translation. It's none of your business. Look at the next sentence. You follow me. Get up and do what John's been doing all the time. How was John doing it? Oh, John was so... No, he wasn't so special. He just knew, I'm loved of God. He just knew, I'm received, accepted in the beloved. He just knew the grace of God. He just knew what you and I need to learn this morning. I'll close with this sentence. You see, Peter's struggle, or Peter's following was always a struggle. But John's came with an uncomplicated ease. He just trusted. He understood this in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Not because we've attained anything but because he first loved us. Not because we have become anything, but he is everything. 
Church, never underestimate the wonderful gift God has given you. That we can sit together. That we can be here in this beautiful facility. That we can worship God with wonderful music and singing. That we can open up our Bibles. That we can study together. We belong to the 10, maybe 15% of the most privileged people that have ever walked on the face of this earth. 85% of the people who are alive right now don't know what they're going to eat in the next day. God has given us so much. It's time we realize that he that has been given much, from him will be much required. It's time we put away petty differences and taking out God's word and trying to prove what we think is right. It's time we come back to the essence of what Christianity is. It's all about Jesus. It's all about that humanity needs a Savior and God sent us His only begotten Son. And whoever should believe on Him should have eternal life and not perish. And all the other things and all the other programs and all the other activities and there's nothing wrong with it. But when they become dominant and we lose the essence of why God has come to us in His Son, then the church just becomes a social club. We lose the power. We lose the purpose. And then we end up like Peter, struggling to prove something. Let's be more like John. Let's lean back in the fact that we're loved. Let's follow just simply because we know he loves us. Let's be determined to be obedient and fulfill the course that God has laid out for us because he is faithful. We don't get it all the time. We don't always, in every situation, show faithfulness. That doesn't stop him from remaining faithful. And I believe in this morning, I believe in this house this morning, there is some sitting there and you saw yourself in Peter. You saw yourself struggling. You saw yourself distressed in your whys of life. You saw yourself needing to say to God, help me to go from a Peter type of relationship to a John type of relationship. I want to learn what it means to trust in the love that you have for me. There may be some sitting here this morning. The pastor said it this morning. You're not here by accident. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you saw the TV show. Maybe you heard the radio program and you wanted to come and visit. And then you get this crazy little German shepherd (laughs) who's been screaming at you for the last 45 minutes. I'm only screaming at you because I love you. I want you to get this. I want you to be protected. I want you and I pray you never go through what we've been going through. But I want most of all that you know that you're loved. I want most of all that you know God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He knows you better than you know yourself. And this morning, maybe some of you need to say, Jesus... I want to know you. 
Jesus, I want to experience what I heard this morning. Others of us sitting here need to have the courage to say, Jesus, I need to start this whole thing over. I need to press the restart button. My whole relationship with you has been based on me. And God wants to heal the frustration and the hurt. God wants to give you a fresh start this morning.